I'm an alcoholic. So thank you guys for uh, allowing me to come past Bakersfield, but before Fresno. Uh, that's how he described it when he offered me. So thanks, Bill. That's what I wanted to do on a Saturday, absolutely, to come to Visalia. But, uh, you know, I um, there was a hint of contempt prior to investigation, but I have just had an absolutely wonderful time and uh, want to give a big shout-out to the dinner crew. Uh, we were awesome, you know what I mean? We rocked it, you know, we were like the only people there, but whatever. And uh, that was fun. And my best friend, Felicia, was hanging out with me. She's like my sister. She's actually older than me uh, with with time. She's in another fellowship. Uh, but she's younger than me biologically, but she acts like an older, your sister. So whatever. You know what I mean? Get that, I mean that in a loving, nurturing way. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, we had a lot of new friends. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. 10 days, 12 days, 22 days, like, that's a long time, right? That's a long time. Ask anyone who has the obsession to drink, and they will tell you 24 hours is like an eternity. It's like, you want me to go 24 what? Without a what? You know what I mean? And, and you want me to be kind and loving. Pick one, right? <laughs> We're not going to get both. Uh, you know what I mean? I've been here for a few 24 hours, and we don't always get both. You know, and so... Uh, so welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. You've been given the keys of the kingdom. You know, this is absolutely, my friend Ralph White always says, this is the best step that I will ever take from the cradle to the grave. And that is a huge, huge statement because I think of the things in my life that I've enjoyed and they have been pretty spectacular. They have been phenomenal. But what supersedes all of those is me coming into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, if I be an alcoholic. Because if you're not an alcoholic, it's not the best step you'll ever take. It's just someplace you're going to hang out for a minute, right, and then you're going to go. But for me, this is it. Alcoholics Anonymous is everything. It makes my toes tingle. That's what this program does for me. I'm an AA geek, and I'm, like, totally okay with it, right? So I'm just going to hang out for a little bit, and uh, my watch stopped. I was looking at dinner. It kept saying five to six, five to six, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's not working. So I'm going to look at that one back there, and I will be ending at uh, five before nine, have an hour. I think I've been talking for four minutes. So anyway, uh, I'm just going to get a few things out of the way. I'm anal, right? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to get a few things out of the way. My sobriety date is August 16, 1995. It's the most important date in my life, right? It is everything to me. And so, so when I got sober, the deal is that I wasn't looking for anything continuous. When I got sober, I'm simply pooped out. You know what I mean? The type of alcoholic woman that I am and how I live when I'm out there is uh, I came to you at 96 pounds because when I drink, I enhance my drinking with a couple, two, three things that keep me up for eight and nine days at a time. And so when I'm out there, a nutritious meal for me will resemble a Snickers bar every three or four days. And uh, more like an energy bar, if you will. And um, when I came to you, I was missing my front tooth because I'm a mouthy little alcoholic. And... Apparently, someone begged to differ with something I had to share. When I got here, I didn't 
have a strand of hair on my head because when I drink and I enhance my drinking, only for lack of a better term, it just tends to produce a squeaking sensation. And so I would think that there was something up there. Matter of fact, I know that there was. And uh, because they became distracting and aggressive as I would drink. And I remember telling my friend, I'm like, something's up there. And so she said, how do you know? Isn't it funny? She moved back. It's not in your hair. It's in mine, right? And I said, because they just ran from this side to that side. And what she did is she gave me some information. It wasn't a direction per se, but what I did is I embraced it because I believe in a program of action from way back, right? She said, you know, rubbing alcohol will sterilize anything, right? So I understood what the cold was. And what I did is I got a bottle of rubbing alcohol, and the next time I was drinking, which was like a few hours later, I uh, needed to have a quick powwow. And so I sat everybody down, right? And I told them, I said, look, look, I know you're up there, right? And you can stay up there, but I'm going to sterilize you. And so what I would do is I would just take the rubbing alcohol, and I would pour it all over my scalp. And it was very soothing. You know, if you've ever been on a beach, running on the beach, and just feeling the wind blowing through your hair, it was like that, only not. You know what I mean? Or or if you've ever eaten something with mint in it, it gives you that type of feeling, and that's what was going on. It was like a rebirth, if you will. You know what I mean? And myself. And then after a while, they became immune to it, much like a roach will eventually become immune to rape. Now, I always have to have a little disclaimer, I don't have roaches. I just want to get very clear. In the past, however, we have at some times had interaction, right? And so if you've ever had roaches, I'm sure there are no roaches in Vesalia, because they're all probably in Bakersfield, but whatever. You know what I mean? Kidding. Either I'm kidding or you write about it, make a decision. So anyway, so, you know, if you've ever had roaches, it's, it's, the remedy is very simple. You get a bottle of Raid and... You spray the raid, and what will happen is the roaches will tell their friends, you know, they'll cower in fear. Oh, no, oh, no, she's got raid, right? And so you'll think that your problem is gone. However, if that roach has a characteristic of an alcoholic, right, you'll think the roach is gone, but three or four days later, who do you see with a little helmet, little boots, right? It's a roach. And so, you know, and I'm not saying there were roaches in my hair because there were not, but there was something and they became immune and they started to get very aggressive and so I had to get aggressive, you know, and I, I took the scissors and I cut off all of my hair. But because half measures will avail me nothing, right? I took a shaver and I shaved it off to the scalp. That's right. Because I didn't want there to be a little follicle that they could just cling on to. And I, and I would wear T-shirts on my head as if they were fashionable turbans, just making my own statement. You know, and so... so the beauty of coming into Alka, and I know, I know you have this whole, like, hot image of what I'm saying, but, you know, <laughs> when you are an adult woman, bald-headed and toothless, okay, it is not as sexy as you may think. And so, the beauty of coming into Alcoholics Anonymous like that is that you are then in much less danger of being 13 steps. And so, because uh, <laughs> no one wanted what I had. myself into the work of Alcoholics Anonymous uninterrupted, you know, and, but there's always that one, right? You can limp in with a bandage on your head and crush
bridges and he'll be like, hey, you know, it's so uh, it's a good deal. And the thing is, if you saw me at that point, you know that whatever it was wasn't working. Like you knew it had not worked out. And uh, and and the way I, I looked was just a percent of the way I felt. When I got sober, I thought I would hurt forever. I was so devastated from the disease of alcoholism. And, uh, you know, it's why I approach Alcoholics Anonymous the way I do. I was told to get three things, a sobriety date, and to make sure that I took actions to ensure that that date would not change, right? A sponsor, my sponsor is Clancy, he is sober a lot longer than I am. And, uh, you know, I came to him at nine years sober. My former sponsor, Gloria Decker, was the love of my life. She taught me what it was to be a sober woman. She demonstrated what the principles look like in a sober woman's life. And uh, Gloria had gotten really, really sick. She had since passed. And uh, I was in a relationship that was really, really sick. You know, but that wasn't the word I used at the time. I think I used the word soulmate at the time, right? And so, uh, you know, it was just a hideous, wretched, hideous, wretched, hideous, wretched, hideous. And did I say wretched relationship? And so, uh, so anyway, when I was in this phase of my development, you know, Gloria was pretty frightened for me. The relationship was verbally and physically abusive. I participated equally in both. And so, uh, so she would talk to me and she would say, Candace, you have to leave this relationship. Candace, you are, you are talking sober, but you're living drunk. And I would say, I can't leave because this is my soulmate. And I got into the relationship around six years sober and got out a little over eight after I was eight years sober. And, you know, the deal was uh, that that's really what love looked like for me at that time in my life, which is deep because I had come to you, I had taken all 12 steps, taken all the traditions, sponsored a lot of women, and still that's what love looked like. You know, deceit, uh, jealousy, violence, just all of it. And so... She would say, you have to leave, and, and I previously had felt that she gave me really strong guidance. But in this area, she just appeared to be foggy. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't feel that she really had the, the sharpness and the clarity that she had previously brought to the sponsorship table, you know. And so what I needed to do was I needed to go to the source himself, because I felt if your sponsor's tripping, just bypass her and go right to God. So I remember going to God, God. Give me a sign. Should I stay in the relationship? The police came. Oh, no, not that sign, right? And, uh, so, you know, what do you do now when your relationship has just basically gone down the toilet? You know, I did exactly what you would do, I'm sure. We got engaged. And uh, <laughs> that's how I roll. You know what I mean? So we got engaged, and, uh, and we were engaged for six days, but they were really long days, and then, and then after, you know, after it was over, it was just like, it was just horrible, like it hurt so bad, when I had to take that ring off my finger and walk away, because I just couldn't do it a second longer, you know, I have always been the size I am now, and uh, I had lost 20 pounds, because I threw up every day for the last 90 days of that relationship. And that is because the, the principles that I have previously been living by, I've been surrendering one step at a time, taking the 12 steps in reverse, right? 
and my spirit is rejecting it, but I'm trying to force that way of living into my spirit, and it's saying no. But I won't leave. And when I finally took the ring off, I was hurting so bad. It felt just like it did when I was newly sober. I was very angry. I was angry at Gloria because she was right, and I desperately needed her to be wrong. I desperately needed us to have that new chapter in the book. See, my case really is different. Right? I was angry at God because he's God and I had been praying to him. And at that time in my life, my third step looked like, this is what I need you to do, fix it now. And the fact that that had not happened really pissed me off. And I was so, I was, I was in so much torment that every day it just felt like my skin was being peeled off. It felt as if that it hurt to breathe. You know, it just hurt to breathe, and I, and I just didn't want to be here anymore. And what was even deeper about that, oh, people hear like little baby hiccups. <laughs> oh. oh, I just have a, I got a kitten, so I'm still there with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I have a cat who's almost 13, and I lost my cat who was 16 to cancer a month ago. I was like beyond devastated. So I got this little kitten as a playmate to my cat, Petra, but, like, Petra and I are just older. You know what I mean? Like, we've been hanging out for, like, 13 years together, and this little kitten comes in, and she's like, this is fascinating. That's fascinating. I'm going to go over here. I'm like, you don't want to go to sleep? No. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. So, and Petra was like, did we take a group conscious when you said you were going to go Her name is Sasha. Sasha Fierce. And so, uh, anywho, I digress. So, you know, I was hurting so bad that I didn't want to be in the very place that gave me dignity, that gave me life, that gave me respect, because I wanted to forfeit it behind a relationship in which I gave up my dignity to stay in. Isn't that deep? That's alcoholism. It talks about that peculiar mental twist that love looked like me giving up my dignity. I didn't understand that I had to go back. I had to go deeper. I had to continue to uncover, discover, and discard Right? That which was blocking me to see what my true core beliefs look like. Because if love still looks like this, then it has to be removed and I have to now get a new concept. And a lot of people won't do that, which is why we can't stand Alcoholics Anonymous. I won't get a new concept of something because when I come to you, I'm living on old ideas. Why we don't sleep with newcomers? We're not supposed to. You know what I mean? It's not judging. It's whatever you want to do. You know what I mean? I'm going home tomorrow. Work it out how you need to. So anyway, you know, I had a really good dinner. This hot chocolate all in my mouth in the beginning has really just become my friend. So I'm going to drink hot chocolate and chit-chat. So, you know, I am... So I I was convinced I was never, ever going to love again. Like, just really tormented, you know, and... And then magically, six days later, <laughs> I was in another relationship, you know, and I let the healing begin. And so, uh, and that relationship was verbally and physically abusive, and the police were back at my house. I lost all the women I sponsored. You know, and the deal is, I am very active in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. I am uber active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I speak fluent, active Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And so to be very visible in Alcoholics Anonymous, walking through this was a painful thing. My former partner is not in Alcoholics Anonymous. This person was, and it's a minor detail. You probably don't even care, but since we're talking, you know, when I got into that second relationship, they were already in a relationship. You know, those technicalities are tricky. And so, uh, so when I got into this relationship, 
what happened is the year preceding, this person had been asking me to have an affair, you know, and I was like, I'm not going to have an affair with you because I am fairly monogamous, you know. And so, <laughs> and so now that my relationship is over, the fact that they were still in one was, was more of an outside issue, you know what I mean? And I didn't think that we needed to talk about it. It was very unpleasant, as a matter of fact, to even bring it up. And so, you know, I remember walking in meetings and having people say things about me, you know what I mean? And just being really super uncomfortable in my seat. And I talked about all of this because it brought me to my knees. That behavior brought me to my knees. When I tell you I wanted to drink and I wanted to leave, that's exactly what I mean. When I got sober, the obsession to drink was lifted. So I would hear people come into Alcoholics Anonymous and they would talk about still having the thirst and I just didn't get it. I felt for them because I could imagine that that probably was very difficult, but I did not understand it from a person. At eight years, eight and a half years sober, when the obsession to drink came back, it was like living in hell. Every day, I couldn't sleep. I was having drinking dreams all night. And I'm going to tell you something. I hear a lot of things in AA. They're not in the book. I don't, you know, pay a lot of attention to them. And one of those things is, if you forget your last drink, you know, you'll go out. Well, maybe, maybe not. But here's, here's something else that I've learned from experience. The way that I'm living sober can begin to outweigh the pain of my last drink. Right? Because, I, one, I'm clear on my last drink, but that's not what we're talking about. We're saying at eight and a half years sober, my life looks like I just sat down to drink and I haven't had anything that affects me from my mess up since August 16th, 1995. But my conduct was so unprincipled that when I'm in untreated alcoholism, I go back to all the stuff I used to do. You're in a relationship, you're hitting on me, I think it's a compliment. I think it's because I'm just that cute. Not that I'm not, but I'm saying. You know what I mean? I don't understand that because you have no integrity and no respect for yourself. The only thing you can bring to me is disrespect. But if I'm living in low self-esteem, I'm going to think a sandwich is a four-course meal. That's the deal. And so I'm in this relationship and I am tormented. I am in pain. And I'm trying to fix it with old stuff and it's not working and we're lying in bed and I look over and I say, I, I ask, if I drink, would you leave? They say no. I wait for a few minutes. I then ask, if I drink, will you drink with me? And they say yes. And it's different, you know, I've had people have varied reactions to that. You know, some people just get really super angry. Oh my God, I couldn't believe you would act in a heartache. You know what I mean? I'm just like, really? You really? You know, and I just think, well, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not an alcoholic of my type, right? I'm a hope to die alcoholic. The disease I suffer from is not a disease of the considerate. I suffer from the disease of alcoholism. It is a disfiguring, distorting, debilitating, and ruthless disease. And then there's another way to look at it. It's all perspective. You know, the other way is you taught me manners here in AA. So if I'm going to drink and you're there, well, how rude of me to not offer you one. I'm just saying, I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's all perspective. You know what I mean? Run it by your sponsor. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, I am kidding. So, you know, the only reason 
that my date never changes because there was no alcohol nor anything else in that house. And the next morning, I got a hold of Gloria, who had been in and out of the hospital. She had a rare lung disease. She would be out for maybe a few days, but her message was so filled from all the people calling, I couldn't get through. And this rare time, I got through to her and... You know, I told her what I had done, and she said, Candace, you don't have the right to jeopardize anyone else's sobriety. Stop quoting the book and start living by the principles. And so I asked her, well, how do I make amends to this person? And she said, get away from us. Leave them alone. Right? And so uh, I ended that relationship. They drank like a couple of weeks later. Now, I cannot get you sober, and I cannot get you drunk. But I am very clear as to my part in that equation. I do not live like that today. I have not lived like that for a long time. I came to Clancy at nine years sober. I came to him out of ideas. I came to him like a newcomer. And that needed to happen because I was incredibly arrogant in Alcoholics Anonymous because I am very active. I was very arrogant. You would say something, don't, and don't not know the book. You know what I mean? Like, I would just be crazy with it. And so now that my actions, I I remember going to participation meetings and just sharing all kinds crazy stuff attacking people from the podium and then just to give it an air of legitimacy I would you know throw in a line from the big book and sit down you know what I mean and people look at me like okay okay you know what I mean you just keep coming back because it keeps coming you know and uh, just nuts and so when I came to Clancy I was I didn't have a plan B when I came to him and I said, you know, I've always been active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've gone through the steps, the traditions, the concepts, and I don't think I'm going to be able to stay sober. I want to drink so bad right now. I've wanted to drink over six months. And he said, well, let's give it a try on one condition that you never debate with me. And I said, okay, because I didn't debate with Gloria. And my babies don't debate with me. I feel if you still have some answers, you work them out on your own time. This is for fun and for free. I don't have to be an expert in all. I can only share my experience. If you don't want it, go somewhere else. So, you know, we started doing the deal, and I'll tell you something. When I came to him, he was a little rude, a little bitey. You know what I mean? He did not like me, and he was not shy about letting me know that. And so we would be at the Wednesday night meeting. Someone would come up. I had spoken the night before at a different meeting that they were at. And they would say, oh, Candace was at the meeting. She gave a talk last night. It was a great talk. And he would look at me and he would say, hmm, and walk away. <laughs> and that's because he understood, right, that my podium talk didn't look like my life. He understood what was going on behind the scenes and that I was dying, running my mouth and dying. And that I had to, to put those, those two in sync. And I think it was close to a year before he even, you know, gave me any type of compliment. And I felt like the sun had come out. He was walking to his car. We had been at a sober birthday for one of my brothers, Anna. And he had his coffee. He was about to open the door. I said, do you want me to hold your coffee while you open the door? He was going to speak. And he said, sure. And he said, I heard you gave a, a talk last night. And I was just frightened. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, no. And he said, I heard you did good. Good job, kid. And I swear I felt like there were angels sending. You know what I mean? But it had been a lot of work. Like I had to come here, change my conduct. I had to go back through the work because I needed to have a new experience. I needed to have new behaviors, new conduct, a new experience. And so 
My home group is Arlington. It is the oldest meeting in Southern California. It was Pacific Group for a lot of years. You know, and it's just a meeting of AA. A lot of old timers. We have commitments. We do the deals. You come there, you're going to feel welcome, period. You know, and so, like, how did I get to Alcoholics Anonymous? Because I didn't take a drink and just come in. I love drinking. It wasn't, I'm not here to badmouth drinking. If you can get your drunk on and, and not wreck your life, I say work it out. You know what I mean? I can. I have forfeited my right to drinking and casual sex. <laughs> I want to be very clear. You know what I mean? There ain't no ring happening. You can keep it pushing. So anyway, I, uh, so I was little. My grandmother raised me. She was my everything. Like everything. I felt that the sun was put in the sky for her. I truly did. And uh, I was terrified of the dark at night. I slept next to her. And I would watch her as she was sleeping. I would watch her breathe. And she would inhale, I would inhale. She would exhale, I would exhale. Because if she died, I wanted to die with her. That's the depth of love I had for my grandmother. My mom is an alcoholic. She is an alcoholic by her own admission. She was very young when she had me. She was not done doing what she needed to do as an alcoholic woman. I didn't understand it then, but I understand it now. My mother is very well endowed. And she believes in packing her pistol in her bosom because she's quirky like that. And so the way she would communicate her needs and wants is she would call my grandmother up on the phone. I always knew who was on the other end because my grandmother would begin to grip the receiver real tight and that little vein would pop out right in the center of her forehead. She would look at the phone to my mother's incessant demand and respond, absolutely not. There was on the phone a short while later, my mother would pop over and just shoot out all of the windows. Now, let us be clear, I didn't want what she had, right? There are other cousins and uncles in my family who also suffer from the disease of alcoholism, but that's not why I'm an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic because of how they drank and what it did in their life. I'm an alcoholic because I'm allergic to beverage alcohol. When I ingest alcohol into my system, I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I can assure you there will have been movement. You know what I mean? And so the way this disease manifests itself in my family is through a lot of violence. Now, a lot of the members favored shooting. I favored stabbing tomato, tomato. You know, and so when we all got together at some point, the police were going to be present. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm just going to give you a holiday at my mom's house because I'm in a festive mood, and I think you are too. So my mother is a big girl, right, big, big bone gal, and uh, my mother cooks from scratch. I don't. I don't. And I'll tell you why, because I feel strongly about it, and you need to know. So I feel, I feel that if someone has been so thoughtful, so what's the word I'm looking for? Considerate, okay, as to take a box and to write directions on that box, I feel if someone has been so thoughtful to do that for me, the least I can do is to honor their vision. That's how I feel. And so my mother doesn't feel like that. She's like a smidgen of this, a dab of that, fabulous creation you're going to be had. So if she's cooking, i got to go. But it's kind of like going to any lengths, if you know what I mean. If you've ever been raised in an alcoholic home or a troubled environment, you will know that there are, are indications when you need to say, make a move. I don't know, like vacate, right? And so, so I would go over my mom's house for just trying to get a holiday meal. I'm just trying to get a little kind of thing. And I you know, the music would be very upbeat, so it's good. I would go over and she'd listen to the spinners and the four tops. It was beautiful. 
beautiful. And then as the day went on, she's listening to Diana Ross in the Supremes. I could smell the aroma wafting throughout the house. But as we enter in the early dusk, and we get into the Sam Cooke juncture, uh-oh, uh-oh. At Sam Cooke, you want to get the plate and the foil. You want to lay them side by side, right? Now you're, you're like a sprinter. You start getting limber. You start getting loose. Because by the time nightfall hits, Billy Holiday, run, run, you know. <laughs> By the time she reached the Billy Holiday phase of this, this day, she had occurred, she, she had experienced a metamorphosis. Yeah. She had now been transported into the dark place. And so, you know, she's now thinking about what's gone wrong, what didn't work out, and she's getting depressed, she starts to cry. But she's only going to cry for a minute or two, then she's going to get pissed off and want to fight. You know, and so understand something. You would get a meal at my mom's house. You just might limp out with it. You know, and uh, <laughs> when I look back, it wasn't a good or bad thing. It's just kind of like how it was. It was just like a holiday at the family's house. And, you know, I got into junior high. My friends were drinking and having a good time, and I wanted to have a good time, too. It's very... Very simple in the beginning, but here's what happens for me when I take a drink of alcohol. When I take a drink of alcohol, I cease to care about you. Ah, rigorous honesty. I don't care about you before I take a drink of alcohol. (laughs) But now that I've taken the drink, I'm more inclined to share with you that I don't care about you. Right. So, you know, I ask that you please resist the urge to pull me to the side and tell me how I have wronged you and how I have allegedly, you know, imposed myself upon you. This is so harsh, those accusations. And I, you know, it talks about me in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says that I step on the toes of my fellow and that they retaliate seemingly without provocation. Why? Because I'm, I, I suffer from those, what does the book refer to, the strange mental blank spot, right? I am so divorced from my own gut, from my own womb, that I don't know how my actions affect you. I am so consumed with self that I'm simply unaware that what I have done is offensive, And because I don't live in column four, I'm unable to process that I may indeed be at fault. So I'm simply just, uh, I I feel attacked when you even bring it to me, these alleged, you know, offenses that you talk of. And and I I remember my friends would come to me in tear-stained faces and angst over what I had done the night before, and they would go on and on, and I would just, I would look at them, you know, as if we were, I was really engaged, you know, what they were saying, but I wasn't, you know, and I just, I would think about, who knows, you know, Andre, you know, whatever. And then, after the appropriate amount of time, you know, I would pause, and thinking they needed some type of feedback, I would say, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know what they were looking for. I don't know what type of nurturing they needed, but I can assure you I was uninterested and incapable of providing it. You know, it, it just it's amazing, the need for the steps. When I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I came into a recovery home. We were talking about it earlier over dinner. And a recovery home is wonderful, but it's not for continuous sobriety. A recovery home has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. So anything that I learned there, I'm not going to bring into Alcoholics Anonymous because it doesn't belong. Right? 
So I came into a recovery home. I was grateful for it because I was living on the street. So certainly now I have an opportunity to be in a clean bed, brush the teeth I had left. You know what I mean? Do a little something with the little apple that was growing. I mean, you know, it was like a game. It was like a, a beginning. And, and I was grateful to the members of Alcoholics Anonymous that came in on H&I channels, of which I'm a long time. I've had my channels for like 15 and a half years. You know what I mean? So I'm truly grateful. But the deal was, I was sitting in the recovery home, and they had the 12 steps on one side of the wall and the 12 traditions on the other. But I'm not even thinking about the traditions, right? I'm like eight days sober. And I'm looking at the steps, and I just kick them off. You know what I mean? Because I'm intelligent, and I know which ones I need and which ones I don't. And so, and so I was like, you know, powerless over alcohol. I'm bald-headed, chiffless, an adult in a recovery home. Okay, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And then, you know, came to believe that a power greater myself. What power? What? No. And so then, three, made the decision to turn my, over to that face. No, forget it. Four, more, I don't need that. Five, I'll talk to someone. If they want to talk, we can talk about whatever they want to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't get it. It didn't, it just, I didn't get it. That, that's why I had to have a sponsor so that I could get it. That's why I mean, if you want to get it, don't run it by yourself. You know what I mean? It says we find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. So, um, so you know, I'm out there, I'm doing my thing, and I just don't have the ability to process at the level that I can now, which is not that much greater, but a little bit, you know. And so I remember I was living with my godmother. She had purchased a Mercedes. She had this car for about six months. She was all kind of excited. And uh, she was leaving to attend the Black Caucus Conference in Washington. She was going to be gone for a week. She did what any adult would do with their car. She took her car, she parked it in her driveway, she took her keys, she placed them in the candy dish in her home. The only thing missing from this equation was me. And as luck would have it, I was going to a club called the Whiskey later on that night. Well, what better way to go to a club but then in a brand new Mercedes? That's what I, that's how I felt about it. And still feel that way about it. You know what I mean? And so, and so the thing is, now it's really, it's really hazy, it's really foggy, but I think she said, before she left, she said something that sounded a little like, don't touch my car. I don't know. I can't be sure. You know, and so, because I was thinking about I'm going to drive her car. You know what I mean? And so she leaves and I call my friend. I tell, you know, her that we're taking the car to the club. And so that whole day was spent with Candace and Self. How Self would be featured and what Self would debut and how Self would be presented. You know how we are when we're going in the zone, you know. And so as I'm driving the car consumed with Self, I ran into someone else's car. <laughs> And so uh, my hat's off to the person that has a valid driver's license and insurance. And it wasn't happening for me. And, uh, you know, I made as if I were going to do the appropriate thing, pull over, change information. But my day still had so much left to be done. You know what I mean? That whole, like, stop, wait for the police. I mean, hat was kind of a damper. You know, and I just thought, mm, I don't. I think I have time to do that. I'm going to have to go. And so, uh, you know, and then there was also the, the fact, you know, that I didn't have any information to obtain. It wasn't my car. I didn't have a license. You know, it was that type of stuff. So I just, I needed to go, you know. And so I left, and uh, the whole front end of the car had now a permanent grin on it. And so I made as if I were going to do the appropriate thing and, you know, tell her and all that stuff I did. So I got back, and uh, she returned a few days later 
and found out that I had wrecked her car and she was peeled about it. She was like hostile. You know what I mean? I was like, whoa. And I, she was just going on and on. It, it was a little annoying because I heard you the first time. You know. And so uh, she was telling me about like all this stuff I had done and I mean, I just felt trapped. I just felt like not understood, not supported. You know what I mean? And, and as she was talking to me, I had one thought continuously going through my mind. That thought was, you have insurance. Why are you coming down on me? You know what I mean? That, that, that's the absence of column four. One more time in my life. When, when I am drunk or sober without these principles, I just can't go into column four. You know why? Because I am just delighted in columns one and two. <laughs> I love the who you are and what you did to piss me off. I want to just stay there. You know, let me give you an example for our new friends. Column four, resentment inventory is one of the inventories you do in step four. There's a resentment of fear and a sex inventory in the book. If you haven't done all three, you have not taken step four, right? So the resentment inventory, a lot of people get fascinated with but not the whole thing of it. You know, and so column one, person, place, thing, or principle, I'm pissed off at. Absolutely. Let me write down the names. Column two, why? Ooh, love that part. You know what I mean? And then, and then for this person, I need a whole other sheet of paper. You know what I mean? They really piss me off. But then column three is where my gut starts twisting, where it starts getting personal. Because column three asks, what does it affect? How is my self-esteem affected? How is my personal ambitions affected? How is my security affected? Right? How is my pocketbook affected? How are my sex relations affected? I've got to answer these questions. And so, and I don't just put sex relations. I've got to answer the questions because I have to have a three-dimensional experience with this. And then column four asks me, it's very succinct, where have I been selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened? Oh. Uh, uh. You know what I mean? So you can imagine why people don't want to go into column four because it's just unpleasant. You know what I mean? And so, and so here's an example, right? I'm making it up because I've given you some background info. Don't run with it. So, so column one, who are you resentful at? I'm resentful at Tiffany. Column two, why? Tiffany keyed my car, right? Column three, what does it affect? It affects my self-esteem. She clearly didn't think much of me. It affects my security. She's a nut job and I don't feel safe. It affects my pocketbook. She's uh, unwilling to pay for the car. It affects my sex relations. I don't feel sexy when my car is damaged. You know what I mean? <laughs> it affects my personal relations. You know, I, I thought we were friends. And so column four, where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened? In the interest of time, I'm going to give you one answer. I slept with her partner. She found out and keyed my car. Okay, there you have it. So, <laughs> now, now, if I am not looking for a solution, we are never going to get there, right? We are going to be stuck happily and miserably in column two. And I'm going to character assassinate Tiffany all day, every day. And you always have that one good girlfriend. You can have the murder weapon in your hand, and they will stand by you. No, she was with me the whole time. You know what I mean? So you'll get her on your side, and then they'll be like, yeah, Tiffany was acting strange. You know what I mean? But the reality of the, react, the reality of it is that Tiffany thought I was her friend. Tiffany thought she could trust me. 
And because I have no integrity, no self-esteem, no idea of my worth, I betrayed the most sacred of trust and slept with her partner, whom she should have been able to leave me with. That's the deal. And until I'm willing to take a look at that, and a look at the defects of character which led me to engage in that type of behavior, I will continue to drink.
So, you know, I remember finding out that my grandmother died. And when I found out, she had already been buried. Because as I became more established in that career, I communicated with my family through a P.O. box because my mom is crazy and I just can't have her in this whole life I've created. I have reinvented myself. And the difference is I certainly have been reinvented in Alcoholics Anonymous, but when I was doing it then, I was doing it to, to shut my past out to shut how I had been raised, what had happened to me as a child. I, I didn't want to deal with any of that. Today, I use all of that stuff, and I bring it into the woman I am. It's what fuels me. It's what inspires me. I've had to go back into every experience that hurt, that crippled me, and heal it. That's what the steps do, so that I'm not afraid to think about and remember. I can remember and say, God, I'm so glad I don't live like that. I can use that experience when I'm working with another woman who's trying to heal, who feels broken. You know, and so I, um, I found out my grandmother had died, and uh, what happened is I went to the P.O. box, I read the most recent letter, and it said, I can't believe you didn't come to your grandmother's funeral. And so now I start opening the other letters she had been sending, and they were detailing how my grandmother was getting sick and asking for me. And that's the type of woman I was when I came to you. I was always running my mouth. I had a lot of opinions, but no information. You know, I wanted you to show up for me, but unless it was super, super convenient and profitable, I wasn't going to show up for you. And so I remember the next few weeks, I was looking around at my stuff, and my stuff was no longer enough. And at that time in my life, my stuff was all important. It was very important the label I worked for, very important the position I held, very important where I lived, very important, you know, the people I knew, the parties I attended. All the outside stuff was super, super important. My friendships were not based on shared goals and common ambition. They were based on, you're cute, I'm cute, we need to hang out. No depth of weight needed, let's not even talk about it. You know, my dear friend Lynette always says, if you don't go within, you will go without. And I understand that this is an inside job. I have to continually be willing to uncover, discover, and discard that which is blocking me. When that relationship madness brought me to my knees, I fought for two years to stay sober because the obsession to drink lasted between eight to ten years sober. It wasn't until I was taking my cake for 11 years and I was on my sponsor's arm and we walked down the aisle at the Wednesday night meeting and I stood in front of him. It wasn't until, that I, until then that I realized I hadn't wanted to drink for almost a year at that point. I was truly standing in the sunlight of the Spirit, but it's because I had to change my actions. And so now I'm here and I'm reading this information. My grandma said, I'm looking at my stuff and stuff not enough. I don't have any inventory, you know, material to do. And so I end up making a decision to, to resign from a position that I loved, a career that I loved. Because my head told me I was living in a world built on make-believe and that I needed to get real. But I don't know how to get real. I just know how to get loaded. In the doctor's opinion, it talks about why we drink. And I refer to the big book a lot because I simply love it. You know what I mean? Like, the people say, if you want to go to sleep, read the big book. I'm like, what? What book are you reading? This is a bestseller. This is like riveting stuff. I mean, you read Bill's story, Bill will suck you into it. He says, for three or four months, the goose hung high. You're like, go, Bill, go. But then he says, that frightful day came and I drank once more. You're like, no, Bill, no. And he talks about his friend coming over. They used to get their drunk on, right? So Bill is excited. He's got the bottle in the middle of the table, singing the suburbans. You know what I mean? His friend comes over, but his friend is sober. Ooh, didn't see that coming. 
percentage, right? But Bill says, unmindful of his welfare, he was going to drink openly anyway. He thought only of recapturing the day's cash. That's who I am when I'm in untreated alcoholism. I am unmindful of your welfare because I don't care. I am not at home feeling remorseful. I'm out stepping on other toes. So at this point, I resigned from that industry. I floated for about three or four months. Ran out of money, ran out of my friend's money, so they called on, you know what I mean? And then I made a decision to market myself in exchange for a drink. And let me tell you something, when I stepped out there to do what I needed to do to make what I needed, my stocks were at an all-time high. It's very important, we get very clear. You know what I mean? The investors felt very good about the product. And uh, as I stayed out there and I'm up for eight and nine days and you start, you know, losing your teeth, you know what I mean? My, my stocks plummeted. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the investors withdrew. And uh, <laughs> I had to go to a lower rent area, you know what I mean? And, oh, and so I was down at MacArthur Park, the equivalent of Skid Row, and, uh, you know, I got pregnant when I was out there. And I would never do anything to jeopardize the life of an unborn child. I just can't say that enough. And uh, the reality is that I'm just, I'm not a periodic, though. I drink period. So when I found out I was pregnant, I made a decision to terminate that pregnancy. Now, whether I am for or against that subject, you're never going to know. I'm never going to share it with you. I'm going to give you some information that is really pertinent. I've been in meetings since I've been sober. And since I've been sober, I've heard not just women, but men also share when they were little, they were left with people they should never have been left with because mommy had to drink. And when mom has to drink, she'll invite anyone into the house that's going to give her liquor. And those are sometimes sick, depraved adults that should not be in the house with children. And things that should not happen, happened. Because of how I drink, because I do not do background checks when I'm out there, I could not safely guarantee that my child would be unharmed in my care. It is for that reason that I made the decision to terminate that pregnancy. At the time of making that decision, I then learned via every news station, every radio station, every TV station, that a member of my family had been arrested for raping, torturing, murdering, and then dismembering my eight-year-old cousin. The person who did that is my mother. It's a hard pill to swallow, and I'm almost 17 years sober. I've had to do extensive work in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's my outside help, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you something. When it was going on, I just remember thinking that that was my destiny, to live exactly as I was living. I had always felt that once your destiny had been determined, nothing could ever be done to change it. I remember thinking anything of beauty, anything of value, anything of worth was no longer afforded to me. So I didn't even need to think about it. I remember hanging out and doing all the things on those streets, jumping in and out of moving cars, living in and out of abandoned buildings. And I remember going into labor for 17 hours. And I remember them being unable to give me an epidural because my body was so polluted with other stuff. Because I had been up for three days by the time I even went into labor. And I remember them putting something on my stomach so I could hear the heartbeat of this child that was inside me. And I just, I couldn't reconcile how I had gotten to this place in this hospital listening to this heartbeat. And I was terrified that I had done something to jeopardize this child's life. Because it wasn't real until right then. 
And after 17 hours of labor, giving birth to my daughter, whom I named Serenity, I just cried. And I didn't name her Serenity because I got sober. I named her Serenity because my life was so chaotic, I thought that maybe if I named her Serenity, I could have Serenity. I didn't understand that this is a program of action. I didn't understand that if I want to affect change in my life, I have to take actions that move toward that. I did not understand it. And I remember holding her and crying because I just was overwhelmed. It talked about it. Our problems pile up on us and become astonishingly difficult to solve. That's step one. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to get out of here. My sponsor talks about there being no friendly direction. And I'm holding this little baby in my arm. I don't know what I'm going to do. And she keeps shaking every now and again because she's detoxing. What do you do with that type of shame? Where do you go with it? My mom is a sick murderer. This, this child is in my hand. I'm ripping and running the street. I don't know what to do. And then they tell me I don't have to worry about it because she's not coming home with me. It wasn't until I was six years sober that I had thought, I went back to that time, and I just realized no one ever asked me where my daughter was when I came back to the neighborhood, because they already knew. No one talked about it. They all knew I was pregnant. They all knew I came back without her. No one ever said, where's your daughter? Or what happened to the child that you were carrying? That's trauma. And when I got sober, I had gone through the recovery home and they sent me to this, this uh, doctor, Redgate Hospital, to check you out. And so I was talking to the doctor about current events. That happened to be what my mom had done. And so to someone who was just ignoring me, even though she talks to alcoholics all day, I think the information I gave her made her think I was crazy or that if this was real, I needed to get some help, right? And so she sent me to the mental health place. That's what she did. I thought we were bonding. And so, uh, you know, so I go to the, the mental health place. The doctor starts talking to me, right? So I'm telling him what's going on. My mom did this in front of me, blah, blah, blah. And I have a daughter. She's my And so he said, you're, you're bipolar manic depressive. You're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder syndrome. That's a lot. I'm already homeless and toothless, you know what I mean? <laughs> so he said he's going to give me something so I could just be balanced. I said, oh no, well, that's not going to happen. See, I always take something. That's what I do. I don't work through anything. I just take something. And so I was unwilling to do that. And I have no idea that I'm going to stay sober. I just know that I'm unwilling to do that. The pill is not going to solve what happened. It's not going to make my mother well. It's not going to make my daughter come back into my life. It's just not going to. So I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And he said, well, I'm going to write the prescription. Do what you need to do. And I go back to the recovery home, and I share this only because it's my experience, and that's what I'm here to do. I went back to the recovery home, and I said, he wrote this prescription for me. Was I suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder syndrome? Absolutely. You just have to look at what that is. The after effects of traumatic situations. Yes. If you live like I live, take my mother out of the equation. If you live like I live, I have done things that are not only traumatic to you, but they're traumatic to me. And they are living in my womb. So that any time I have to sit in my own skin without anything that affects me from the neck up, it's going to be problematic unless I take the step. 
That's the reality. Bipolar manic depressive, it looks a lot like alcoholism when you're new. Was I depressed? Look at me. Yes, I am. A little bit. You know what I mean? And so I, uh, I talked to this person. She said, Candace, get a sponsor. Take all 12 steps. If in six months to a year you still feel the way he says you feel, then do what you need to do. And so I've never had to take anything. That's why I share because it's only my experience. You know, if you look at my life on paper and you look at my family, my dad was a pimp for a, a lot of years. Oops, I'm sorry, manager. Uh, you know, for, <laughs> for a lot of years. When I was on the streets the last year, I, I was with my dad out there while he managed women. So on paper, I'm supposed to be medicated. I'm supposed to be in and out of jails. I'm supposed to never have a life that will amount to anything. But that's not what you told me here in Alcoholics Anonymous. You said if you want what we have and you do what we do, your entire life can be reshaped. This is a program of action. It's not a program of whether or not I feel like it. I don't have to feel like it, but I don't feel like dying drunk. Last Saturday, I was at a member who I've known since I was nine days. I was at her funeral. She went out at 17 years sober. She couldn't get back. She got out of jail Friday, got hit by a car at 4.30 in the morning, crossing the freeway on Sunday. Because that's how we die. We don't die with dignity when we are under the lash of alcoholism. So for me to stand here to be able to share what I'm sharing with you without shame, that's huge for me. I'm not, like, I'm not the perfect member. I just do the best I can each day. But I have a fighting chance here as long as I stay in the middle of you. What does that look like? I attend consistent meetings. I have commitments at my consistent meetings. I work with other alcoholics, I've worked all 12 steps and the traditions, and I take my girls through them. Because this program has to be preserved, and I'm responsible for that. At five and a half years sober, I made amends to my mother. We don't discuss what she's done because she's ill. But I made amends to her for behaviors that I demonstrated that were inappropriate as a daughter. And it took five and a half years because I, I couldn't conceive of talking to her before that. I just had a lot of venom. I'm the eldest of three. I was never raised with her. My brother and sister were. They suffered a lot of abuse, a lot of torture, as did the, the other siblings that she uh, did what she did to. You know? It's hard. We come into Alcoholics Anonymous and we just start throwing things around. Let us love you so you can love yourself. What does that look like? I have to get really clear. It's easy to, to spot out a lot of things. It's a little bit more challenging to apply these principles to the people that have hurt you most. That's when my recovery is defined. And what happened is I kept loving the women I sponsor, loving the women I sponsor, loving them. I couldn't continue harboring hate for her. Am I conflicted a lot? Yeah, that's my mom. Who wants to say this is what my... When I'm at work and my co-workers are talking about their mom's birthday and da-da-da, and they'll say, where's your mom? I say, up north. Because that's where Chowchilla is. My case is not different. My case is not... Just because I'm giving you this information, does it suck? Yeah, but my life is phenomenal. My life is extraordinary. My life is amazing. I do everything I want to do. I've had a lot of firsts in Alcoholics Anonymous. Things that I never thought I'd be able to do, I've gotten to do 
of first. I didn't think a woman like me with my past got to do anything for the first time. I thought I was all used up when I came here. But in, in step three, it says we were reborn. It doesn't matter what I do. And I can wear white if I wanted to. Might be pushing it. Maybe off-white. You know what I mean, huh? <laughs> April. <laughs> you know what I mean? More like a, a winter white, if you will. But, you know. But, like, these things, like, these steps are amazing. And they're fascinating to, to, to do the inventory. I have to be in the middle of you. I have to be going to meetings on a continual basis. Because when I start writing down all that stuff, even though I know it's my past, it's going to suck. It is. It's unpleasant. And my gut's going to be turning. So I have to be taking contrary action. Because my disease, when I'm writing the inventory, will say, that's who you are. That's what you'll always be like. Your life will always be like this. But when I write the inventory, you know, do a little bit each day, and then I go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm a servant, I'm telling my disease, you're wrong. That's who I was. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. Do you know what I mean? This is a program of action. And when I start making amends to people, I'm not the type of woman that makes an amends. I'm the type of woman that just says, you're not tripping, I'm not tripping, let's move on. Yeah, that's not going to work. There's no honor in that. I can't talk my way into integrity. I have to act my way into integrity. So I have to go to you, and I have to talk to what I've done that injured you. And then I ask you, have I omitted anything? Because I'm so narrow in my scope of how I live, I'm just looking at these two things. You have a list of stuff I've done that has harmed you. And when I let you have your say to give you that honor, right, to heal that situation, I then ask, how can I make it right? I don't, I, I hear things like, I put myself at the top of my amends list. Are you kidding me? Like who, what? That's why you keep drinking. Get off. Get off the top. The way I put myself on the amends list is by making amends to you. That's how I heal. I heal by loving you. That action allows me to love me. This is a good deal. I don't think everyone's here to stay sober. That's just not the deal. It would be great, but that's not the deal. And so for me, that means I have to watch the people that are doing this deal. My friends are in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous because I stay in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're too tired to go to meetings, you don't feel you need to have a song, we can't hang out. We don't speak the same language. My life is on the line here. I have a lot of fun, and hey, I go all, all over the country in Alcoholics Anonymous. But this is because my life is on the line. Trust and believe I have plans on a Saturday night because my life is that fabulous. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if I'm unwilling to show up for you, when I die, it'll be in an alley. If I have any teeth left, I'll have to use them for my identification. You know, it'll just be bad. I'm not unclear. So let me share this with you, and then I'm going to sit down. When I got uh, in the recovery home, I found out that I had lost custody of my daughter. I had not seen her since she was three days old. She was almost two years old by the time I was four months old in sobriety. And so it hurt. You know what I mean? I thought get sober because they tell you get sober and get everything back it's a lie you're not going to get everything back so get sober because you want to be sober get sober because you want to break the cycle right so uh, over the years I've had to find things to do to honor my daughter on her birthday and uh, it's because when she turns 18 I want her to come looking for me 
you know, I'd register with the adoption agency. Uh, I don't know where she is, who has her, but I now know that I live the type of life that she wouldn't be ashamed of, right? I don't sleep with people's partners. I don't hook up and do it like, you know, I had to change a lot of things in order to become the woman I wanted to be, a woman that I would be attracted to. And so I gave her a birthday party at the recovery home I went to. And when I called to ask to make the arrangements, the director was like, oh, my God, you found your daughter? I said, no, I have no idea where she is. But she's still going to have a birthday, and I want to celebrate it. So I um, asked her how many children were there. She called me back a couple of days later with a count. She said it was like 16, so that meant I had to have enough food for the children and their parents who were going to bring them, right? So we had all the food catered. We had cake and ice cream. We had gifts for all the kids. We played games with them. Some of my babies hung out with me that day. And uh, we played the dance brief games, the musical chairs. I don't recommend it's very harsh. Do you know what I mean? Because if they don't get a chair, it's when the music stops. Oh, no. You know what I mean? They like, hurl themselves to the floor, cry. I'm like, oh, my God, give her a gift. Give her a gift. You know, and so, <laughs> so cold out. Anyway, so, so after, after we had played the games and eaten up everything, we sang happy birthday to Serenity, my daughter. And uh, we started cleaning up. Party was over. And you know how a parent will go tell their child, go say thank you, go say thank you, you know what I mean? This little girl comes over, she's all cute, you know, like seven or eight years old, just cute. She had a little doll, and she came up to me, and she tapped me, and I go, how are you? She goes, I'm good. And I go, did you have fun? She goes, yeah. And she goes, I just want to say thank you. And I'm like, oh, you're welcome. Is that your doll? She goes, yeah. She said, I named her Serenity. And I just... I probably frightened her, you know what I mean? Like, I just sobbed. And, uh, and it was so beautiful, and I shared this with you because my disease says I'm not worried that I don't get to do this. But what if I want to adopt a child? See, I have these experiences that say I'm not my mother. I am indeed a woman of integrity, a woman of character, a woman of value, a woman of worth. My daughter will be 18 in four days. And I hope she comes to find me. This is not a program of running my mouth. It is a program of action. If you want what we have, I suggest you do what we do. Thank you. Thank you.